1: How likely are we to get a rematch in the finals again? Is it wrong for stars to take games off to rest? Has Houston put itself in title contention? The only question left is, say it with me, you win? Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on Sirius XM NBA Radio's Justin Termini, who, if you don't know, and I'm sure you do, he is uh, does the 4 to 7 Eastern Time uh, show, The NBA Today, with Eddie Johnson. And uh, Justin, I can't thank you enough for coming on and joining me today. Well, I'm listening to the podcast all the time, so it's about time I got the invite. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, well, I, I, as long as you, do you listen to it like in the shower, or where do you listen to when you're when you're on... No, I, I sing in the shower, so I do not listen in the shower. I usually listen to it
0: uh, right, before I, right before I go to bed so I, I have a good understanding of what's uh, transpired here during the week. And then I am able to dream about, uh, dream about the podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I'm also probably helping you fall asleep pretty quick as well. Well, uh, we're not
0: going to do that on this one. We'll make sure that everybody gets uh, a no sleep if they listen to it right before they go to bed. A lot of energy today, I hope.
1: All right, let's keep up the energy. Let's go. Let's keep. You know, anybody driving a long drive listening to this will not fall asleep at the wheel. So, um, you know, lots of stuff have been happening. This is a very interesting season so far. And I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, let's just jump right into this notion of a rematch in the finals because we're, you know, the game's coming up uh, between the Cavs and the um, Warriors. Uh, you know, is that what we're going to get again? It looks like that, and I was a little skeptical, not from the Eastern Conference side, because even with the
0: J.R. Smith injury here, Coach, uh, people are talking about, well, maybe you don't get the number one seed, maybe you fall back a little bit if you're Cleveland, even if that's the case, and they're not going to fall back to like eight, they're probably not even going to fall back to two, uh, and definitely not three, but I don't I think it matters where they're seated in the Eastern Conference. The conference, as it's been for the last 15 years, to me is a joke. And if Toronto's the second best team, you know, they're three 0 uh, three and o against Toronto here this season. We saw what they did in the postseason against them last year, Cleveland, when we essentially swept them. I know it went six games, uh, but they were fooling around on those two games that they lost. They didn't take them seriously. So, you know, they're gonna get they're gonna get to the uh, they're gonna get to the NBA finals, barring an injury maybe to Kyrie Irving or Brown. I think they could even overcome an injury to Kevin Love, who has been one of the most important. Players this year, so that answers the question in the Eastern Conference. Uh, out West, you know, I was skeptical on the Warriors at the outset of the season just because of the defense and the depth. Uh, there's no rim protection, and then for a majority of the season, they've led the league in blocks. Durant's been great uh, down low defensively, and as you know, Draymond Green arguably leads the, the race here for Defensive Player of the Year. Very concerned about their defense, which has been number one here over the last couple of weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how good they've been. They've been top five defensively overall, which just sort of shocks me. Uh, and then the depth is a major concern as well. I just felt like they lost too many pieces. Igutala's taken a little bit of a step back. But then who out west would scare you? I mean, maybe Utah. But Utah's always hurt. I think that's a bad matchup for Golden State, but they're always hurt. Uh, San Antonio, uh, another surprise defensively. I thought they'd be bad defensively based off the fact that you're, you're going with Powell and Marcus Aldridge down low. Uh, and, you know, they go on a, a little 10 game win streak earlier this year in that ballpark. Uh, the Clippers seem to get better whenever they lose Blake Griffin. Uh, But yeah, to me, it lines up as Golden State at Cleveland. I'd still favor Cleveland because I think postseason defense is a little bit different than it is during the regular season. And I like the depth a little bit better here of of Cleveland. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it looks like for the first time in NBA history, we're going to get a rematch three years in a row with the same two teams.
1: And that's what I think makes me a little bit worried because it's never happened before. And the idea that the same two teams can make it back, you know, even twice in a row, much less three times is crazy um, you know, I'm kind of curious, in the East, are you seeing evidence that the Cavaliers could be concerned about playing the Bucs in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I saw Kyrie Irving said that they want them in the in the postseason as well, uh, and he also referenced that it would probably be a four-game sweep, but, you know, I, I know they play them tough, they play Cleveland tough, they beat them uh, here earlier this year, and then you had the, the close game the other day where LeBron hits the big three, and then they beat them rather easily on the second end of the back-to-back, uh, but, Bucs, as you know, play Golden State well as well. They lost by three to them earlier this year. They beat them last year to end that 24-game win streak and then played them tough out at Golden State. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, they play well against the good teams. I still wouldn't be concerned because, as you know, the postseason is a little bit of a different game, and you've got to have experience in the postseason. You're just not going to be Cleveland who's got that championship pedigree uh, in the postseason. So is it one of the more difficult matchups for Cleveland? Uh, It probably is. They probably would like to avoid them just to alleviate any stress, uh, but I still think it'd be a rather series.
1: You know, the, the, the experiencing is a really good point because Giannis I don't think has even had experience in the playoffs yet, which is weird because it felt like they were on their way against the Bulls a couple seasons ago, and then it's kind of fallen apart, but uh, I'm watching Giannis, and I'm telling you, I don't know if LeBron wants uh, to deal with that uh, on a, in, a, in a seven-game series.
0: Well, I agree with you, and I think I saw a stat heading into the last Two games uh, where he had they had met four times in their NBA careers, and Giannis had actually outscored him in, in three of those games. So you know it's it's a really weird matchup. Giannis always plays well against them. And I'll tell you what, uh, on the show just uh, this past week, we do uh, every every four weeks or so we'll do the most improved player in the league. I got two bucks as my most improved players. I think mean, Jabari Parker uh, is one of the more improved players in the NBA, and he's had a phenomenal December. Even so much that you question, you know, is he maybe the guy ahead of? from that draft that you would have taken if you push Envy to the side, because I think we'd, we'd all take Embiid if healthy. Uh, but, you know, Parker's been great, uh, and he was a beast in, in the first game against Cleveland here just a couple of days ago mm-hmm. uh, when he was down in the post and in the fourth quarter playing very well. Uh, but I think even more so improved is Giannis, whose minutes are actually down, but he's averaging more points, more rebounds, more assists, more blocks, more steals. Uh, so, I mean, as far as young cores, you could put them up against Towns and Wiggins, and it might be a coin flip. That's how good these guys have been. I, you know, impress.
1: Yeah. I mean, it hasn't quite translated into the wins yet, but perhaps they're learning it. And all I can tell you is that when I watch the Cavs uh, play the Bucks. You can see the Bucks are not intimidated and they want to go after him. I mean, they, uh, Giannis backed LeBron James down and kind of forced him to follow him in that second game, I believe it was. And you could almost see like, LeBron's expression on his face was something like, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Like, you can't, I can't be in a situation where I have to, like, foul somebody. I can't stop them. And that's what it looked like, which kind of, you know, I'm a big underdog guy and uh, that, that gets me excited. Yeah, me too. I mean, listen, I'd like to see there's some fresh blood in the finals and then somebody beat
0: Cleveland. And speaking to not backing down to LeBron, there was also a play where Giannis just fouled him hard towards the tail end of the game. Didn't allow him to get the layup up. I don't know if you remember that play. Mm-hmm. And LeBron sort of gave him a dirty look as well. <laughs> uh, and again, you don't see that from guys that have been in the league for a while, 28, 29, 30, 31 years of age. Hanna's is 22. Just turned 22 in December, so earlier this month, uh, and uh, you know he's not backing down. Parker's about 21, 22. So uh, yeah, I mean it's a bright future, and it gets you excited. Uh, they just have to continue to grow and probably add more pieces. Of well, they could use some shooters, but those two guys are just uh, just off the charts.
1: Well, you know, I don't know if I caught it, but did you guys talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the disrespect, perhaps, you would call it, uh, from the Cavs uh, of the East? As You know, we had LeBron uh, and, and company playing the uh, water bottle game at the end of the bench during the game. Uh, did you have any thoughts about that stuff? So yeah, I mean, I thought that was ridiculous, and uh, and
0: that's disrespectful, uh, you know, and you talk about uh, the respect that LeBron has for Carmelo and just MSG, and it's just childish, and it's something where uh, you, you see Kyrie Irving do it fine. J.R. Smith's going to do it fine. LeBron James held a different standard, and LeBron James should be playing games like that. As Michael Jordan, his uh, bird, is magic, flipping a water bottle at the end of the bench and doing something like that. I just think it's a little bit ridiculous. I had a bigger problem with LeBron not taking the flight down to Memphis for the, uh, for the game, and you want to rest him, which is something I don't, Agree with. Uh, play 82 games, take some pride in that. I mean, Jordan did that 82, 82, 82 in the final three years, which he won a championship. Carl Malone missed like 10 games throughout the course of his entire career up until his final season. Uh, and he just played every night, took pride in it. We have guys like, uh, like that today. I mean, Westbrook takes pride in playing every game. Damien Millard played his 82 games his first three seasons, had some plantar fasciitis. It cost him a couple of games last year, but you take pride in stuff like that. Uh, but I had a bigger problem with, all right, you want to rest, fine. But make the flight down to Memphis, especially if you're going to go pick up an award in Brooklyn on the day off just a couple of days earlier, which he did for the Sportsman of the Year. Uh, you can pick up that award and fly away from your team. Then as the leader of your team, you can go to the actual game, sit on the bench. Maybe you want to sign some autographs. I don't know. But I thought it was just completely disrespectful to the game to not take that flight when you can go pick up a personal award like LeBron did in Brooklyn for Sports Illustrated. That didn't make any sense to me. That's where we really got on LeBron's case on the
1: program. For sure. And the other problem is they lost the day- game as if they thought they didn't need him perhaps to play in that game, but Memphis did a number on him, and uh, that's really a problem too. And I and I completely sympathize with the guy who had you know probably saved up for months, drove all that all, all those hours to get there to see him, and they, he doesn't even get love or Kyrie either. Um, you know, I I know that the league can't force people to do that, but isn't this a problem? Isn't doesn't the Players Association or somebody need to get involved and, and stop them from doing this? Well, it's a problem. I don't see how you stop it. I and mean, we came up and
0: I do a show with Jason Terry as well, the runway uh, with the jet, I And mean, so you've got a little play on words there. And we do that each Thursday night. And he, of course, is still in the league. Uh, and he says that there should be something like a 10, 15 day disabled list. So you're going to miss a game. You've got to be put on the disabled list. Now maybe 15 days is too long. You get a little five-game disabled or something of that nature. So you miss one game, and guess what? You're going to have to miss five games. Uh, whether you, know, you, you might just be sitting out with a, uh, with, a, with a sore knee one game, and you're just sick. You got a little cold. Well, guess what? You're going to have to sit out four more games. Maybe that's how you legislate it, but I don't even think that there should be legislation. It should just be a pride thing. I mean, I, I show up at work every single day. You do. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you do. Uh, and People <laughs> across the country do. We have a lot of truck drivers that listen to us, Cigure C- C- SXM S- radio. You know, that's a job where they show up day in and day out. They take pride that they're there. So you'd think that the players would do it, especially a guy like LeBron James. Uh, So that's how I think it should be I mean, they owe it to the sport. There's a reason LeBron's making millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's because people pay to see him play, uh, and then you're not growing the game that way. You're, in fact, hurting the game. So shame on LeBron in my estimation. I, I don't like it at all.
1: Wow. Well, now we have our quote now that I can now uh, tweet out with the uh, link to this pod. Um, shame on LeBron. Well, did, by the way, have you taken a peek at how many minutes per game he's been playing this year? Oh, yeah. And I see it's up, especially in December. He's almost at 40 minutes per game. And I also saw somebody comparing that to Will Chamberlain
0: saying he's the only one, I think, 14 years into his career that's played more minutes per game. Uh, well, Will played all 82 games. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, LeBron's taken uh, taken a couple of rests. And, and again, uh, I understand the philosophy behind it. If you're if you're Ty Lue and trying to give him some some rest, and I I don't blame Ty Lue. I blame LeBron. LeBron's the guy. You know LeBron has control of that organization. So if he really wants to play, which he should, just out of a pride aspect, then. Uh, then he, he can be on the floor. You think Ty Lue's telling LeBron you're not playing? The organization's telling LeBron you can't. Play? I mean, he didn't listen to David Blatt. He didn't listen to Eric Spoelstra. He had trouble listening to Eric uh, to Pat Riley. That's why he left Miami, in my estimation. So he makes the decisions. I don't want to hear. Well, this is a, this is a Ty Lue decision. But I do understand that the minutes are, are very high, especially in December. And they might even get higher now that J.R. Smith is out if they want to hold on to the number
1: one seat. But you're, you're just burning it down today, uh, Justin, my goodness. Uh, we, uh, and, but I agree. I, I think that the problem here is that, you know, if you can't play him 40 minutes a game, then of course that's going to make a, an argument for him to say, well, i got to take a whole game off. He should be playing 30 minutes a game, 31. And then maybe, like, you know, the, the rest would be a 22-minute game, right? Like, doesn't that sound more reasonable? Agreed. Well, yeah, absolutely. And here's
0: the thing that I find hypocritical with it, and this took place last year when he was dealing with the bad back, if you recall. He's got the bad back, apparently, when he was lying on the uh, sidelines, bird-esque, uh, towards the end of his career. Uh, <laughs> and then they're playing a game in Memphis on the second end of a back-to-back, okay? they yeah. are up by 30 points in the fourth quarter. LeBron's got eight points. He wants to continue his consecutive streak of, of double-digit points, so he's, he's staying in the game. So don't tell me that you need the rest and the backwards, and then you're out there chasing uh, uh, chasing an individual mark uh, to prolong a, to prolong a streak that ultimately has nothing to do with winning. So, um yeah I, I think that uh, in regards to the West uh, if you play in fewer minutes per game and again it doesn't it doesn't matter whether the, the one seed or the, the eighth seed they're getting it out of the Eastern Conference.
1: yeah fair enough Well let's move over to the Western conference. did you get a chance to see that game last night between the Clippers and the Spurs?
0: Yeah, the Clippers and the and again, I mean, I'm sure you know the number. I think it's something like now after the last two games where so they've won, I think they're like 45 and 21 since Blake has been out the last uh, uh, the last two years. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit perplexing.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, it's, at this point, I'm not even like shocked, right? We've seen so many games without Blake where they play very well, and the funny thing is, is you know, the idea is that there's more space. But if you look at the guys they're putting in there, I mean, you know, Spates, I guess, gives them some more spacing. I, If I were guarding Paul Pierce, who was in there to start, I, I wouldn't be giving him uh, – that yeah, I wouldn't be clinging to him at all. So I don't know. I wonder if it's related to the space on offense or maybe it's something defensively. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and defensively they started off so, so good that uh, – uh, you know, you, you thought they might be the best defensive team in the NBA. They've since taken a little step back when they were six and six during that stretch. Uh, offensively, I think it may just have to do with both guys at times wanting to initiate the offense, and you're probably just better off with Chris Paul being able to initiate the offense. And you know, not that Blake is a ball stopper in the Carmelo sense, but uh, you know, it moves a little bit better certainly when he's out of the lineup. And and you bring up Paul Pierce. If you're guarding Paul Pierce, if you're guarding Paul Pierce, you shouldn't be guarding Paul Pierce. you be guarding <laughs> somebody else. Double team. I mean, I don't think at this point in the screen you even need to guard. Pierce. Uh but uh, as far as the bench, I think Doc did do a little bit better w- a job with the bench this year, so that also helps when you lose when you lose Chris. But and it's 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 weird, coach. And I don't know if you noticed this, but even a couple of years ago, you remember when Paul missed significant time, they were also better off almost without him in the lot than just Griffin. That's when he made the case for MVP and he finished third in the MVP
1: voting that right year, I believe. Yeah, you're right. It's it's conundrum. It's really strange because yeah, we've seen lots of evidence of Blake Griffin really helping them as well. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's weird. I guess maybe it's all DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> is is it his uh, his presence that's really causing all the trouble for other teams? Yeah, I mean, well, I and mean, they
0: were great a couple of years ago, and I guess it was just last year DeAndre was great, I and mean, that's why it was first team All, all NBA. But uh, Uh yeah, I mean, listen, DeAndre's been – I don't think he was first-team All-NBA last year. I don't think he's the best center of the game. It helps because he's got Chris Pauling. Son Whiteside pointed out a couple of days ago, it's, it certainly helps that you have Chris Paul, he's dealing with Drogic, who is good, but he's certainly not Chris Paul, but uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan's, Jordan's been great as well, I mean, listen, I think the guy that needs to be the leading scorer, the second leading scorer though, is J.J. Reddick, who always flies under the radar, he's got to be one of the more underrated players in the league, I would say, over the last couple of years, because you could also make the statement while everybody's talking about Clay and Curry, and I think that's the best backcourt and C.J. and Damian uh, and, you know, Lowry and DeRozan that this one sort of goes under the radar. Radar a little bit, but I, I think you make the argument that the second the third best backcourt in the NBA, Chris Paul and JJ Reddick.
1: Yes, you always forget about him. He nailed some clutch threes and some really tough threes last night. And uh, then that begs the question: We talked about this last night in our post-game show uh, about Pop and his lineups and who he's playing, and who he's not playing, and uh, whether it's stubborn or if he's just kind of doing a pop game of a you know national TNT game where he's not going to reveal anything about the game plan going forward into the playoffs. But um, I'm concerned. I feel like, you know, if Doc is going to be stubborn and really stick with Pau Gasol as long as he has and Tony Parker, that they're not going to gonna be held back.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the worst backcourts in the, in the NBA, to be honest with you, Tony Parker and, and Danny Green. And Green, I guess, has been better than he was last year because he was horrible last year. Uh, and Patty Mills has hit some big shots for him this year. You almost think he's a little bit more dangerous than Tony Parker. And then as far as the lineup last night, yeah, that was – that was confusing. I understand that they have a, another game the following night against Portland, but uh, Pau Gasol's playing 32 minutes. LaMarcus Aldridge is playing 23. I mean, Why well, is Aldridge just playing 23 minutes? Uh, and I, I guess that begs the question, again, is how expendable is he? Because you heard all the rumors with Jackie McMullen at the beginning of the year. Zach Lowe brought it up in a piece and intimated that maybe he could be dealt. I, I can't imagine that LaMarcus Aldridge is too thrilled there and. Uh, yeah, that, that was weird to just play in 23 minutes against uh, against the Clippers.
1: And he also felt like he threw in a towel early because then, now we realize after the fact that Powell and Parker are going to rest tonight. They're not going to play at all. So that's probably why they got those extra minutes in the second half um, but 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 at that point that means to me that he's like forget it we we didn't come out well enough to win this game in the first half so I don't think it's going to happen in the second it's just weird you know and he's not giving guys like Bertan's run who looks to be good Duante Murray looked really good a little bit you know in his in a few minutes uh, th- he could probably you know I'd like to see him over Danny Green a little bit.
0: Yeah, and why you would do that uh, in a game against the Clippers, because I, I think it's really important now. Do they have a nice little lead on Los Angeles for that second spot? Absolutely. Uh, but it's not, uh, it's not that significant. What is it, like two games, two-and-a-half games? And, a half game? uh, and that's, that's an important matchup because you want home court advantage with that 2-3 seed. Because uh, I, I think, to be honest with you, it's impossible uh, to get out of the West if you're the fourth seed. And I said this the other day with L.A. If L.A. is to struggle here without Blake and they're off to a nice start 2-0, but if they were to struggle here uh, and then fall back into that fourth spot and get locked up, let's say in the first round against Utah, do you think that that four seed, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's Houston or whether it's the Clippers, let's say it's the Clippers, because everybody at the beginning of the year said they had an opportunity to win the championship or at least get there, mm-hmm. can they win a championship if they have to go through Utah in the first round, then they have to go through San Antonio? Uh, in the second round, in the, it would be Golden State. So they'd right. have to go to Golden State in the 4-1 matchup, then San Antonio, then they would have to go through Cleveland. I mean, that, that, that'd be the hardest road to ever win a championship, in my estimation. So right. you've got to stay out of that four, that four hole. Uh,
1: fair enough. And, you know, as it is now, if they were fourth, Memphis is fifth. I mean, this is, this is a pretty top-heavy Western Conference right now. And the irony here is a team like OKC, you know, if they get seventh, um, you know, they might be able to get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I don't necessarily see that
0: because I think it's just Westbrook and Westbrook alone, uh, that's carrying. And plus, I think as you, you, you get more opportunity to plan for them and it's, it's a little bit of a different team. It's like Golden State. When you have time to plan for them, seven game series, maybe it's a little bit easier. They just play so differently. They catch you off guard, uh, in a, uh, in a one game thing where you're just going from team to team in the season. I think the same thing maybe for Oklahoma City. I just don't think they have enough help. That's why I think Westbrook right now, what he's doing is so amazing because that roster outside of him, uh, to me, is is just a joke. They got guys that that do one thing. You got guys that just play defense. Uh, in you know. Uh, and guys like Robertson. you got Morrow and Cantor who just play offense. It's just a really weird roster uh, surrounding them. So, you, so you think they could get to the Western Conference Finals if I, they were, uh, you know, a six or a seventh seed? I
1: mean, if you look at the way the bracket will shape up, and you know, I'm I'm not the biggest West Westbrook fan, but listen, they're 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 already winning, you know, fifty nine percent of their games. I would I could foresee them continuing that streak and winning their like you know upper forties, early fifties, whatever that is. Uh, or actually, like, upper forties would be seventh, and uh, so who they match up against the Spurs. And I don't know the way the Spurs are playing right now. I don't know. I mean, I think there'd be an interesting matchup. And I think that, that they uh, certainly uh, Russ could detonate. Uh, and then after that, if it's a 2-7, then who are they playing? 3-6 after that? that would correct?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so 2-7 yeah. would be 3-6. Yeah, so, so that would be, you know, they could get by. They could beat a Houston. Let's see. Houston was the three seed. Uh, they already beat the Clippers earlier this year. Could they beat the Clippers? I mean, the Clippers have had meltdowns in the in the postseason yeah, before. Yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess there's a way to do it. That's shocking, and that'd be one of the all-time great performances by Westbrook to carry this team that far in a tough conference. Like when Iverson and and LeBron did it, uh, in 2001 and 2007 and carried skeleton rosters to the finals. I mean, those, the, the conference stunk. I mean, right. they, they weren't going through anybody. Westbrook actually has to carry this roster through. You uh, just a minefield of very good teams.
1: Uh, that is true. Uh, it's true. But I, there, there seems to be some version of the matrix there that might actually play out. Uh, and, and more reasons to really look at that. And I think that we're going to see some jockeying. Obviously, the Warriors are going to be number one, barring any catastrophe. But I bet you we're going to see some interesting strategic jockeying for positions, maybe for lower positions, uh, maybe in that, in that upper top of the Western Conference, just to, to figure out, to make that, uh, that matchup better for these teams. Um, Houston, though, are you all in on Houston? I, I am. I was all out
0: on Houston last year. I thought they were the most one of the more embarrassing and humiliating teams uh, in the history of the league. Uh, what they did with getting McHale fired, I thought was an absolute joke. The way that Maury went around building that team, you know, I, I'm a guy that mixes the analytics with, uh, you know, with the old school intangibles type of thing, which I think everybody should do. And most GMs will tell you that to put Josh Smith. And Ty Lawson and Michael Beasley and James Harden and Dwight Howard on the floor together, and expect to have any type of decent results. I thought, you know, I thought that was just foolish thinking. And I was really hard on Mori last year. I think you can make the argument right now that they've got four award winners. Harden is the front runner for MVP in my estimation, mm-hmm. even though he's got slightly worse numbers than Westbrook. You have that team winning right now, so you have to give it to him because I think that's an important part of the MVP. Dan Tony has come in, and you make an easy case for him as the coach of the year, as everybody is. Bought in, unlike Carmelo in New York and Kobe in Los Angeles, they bought into the system. He's fixed chemistry problems which they had last year. Mm-hmm. So I love the job that he's doing. The defense is top fifteen, which is something we did not expect. So the Antonio Coach of the Year candidate. You've got Eric Gordon, who's averaging over seventeen points per game, has revitalized his career, having the best season of his of his career at this point. I think you make the case he's the Sixth Man of the Year. And Daryl Morey by bringing in Gordon, by bringing in uh, Ryan Anderson, surrounding Harden with shooters. Uh, and also just bringing in D'Antoni and having confidence in a guy that I thought was a bad hire uh, because he didn't have the discipline to maybe get in the grill with James Harden and, and get the effort out of him with a team that needed discipline. And I didn't think defensively he was going to be able to fix this team, and that would be a problem. But Morey made a great hire in D'Antoni. So I, I think you got four guys that potentially could win awards. I'm all in on Houston right now.
1: Yeah. And, and it's exciting, too. And it's fun. And obviously, the cloud has been lifted. Um, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a, of a coach taking over a team um, after a, the original, original coach is fired and then taking himself out of the running uh, of, to, to you know, be the full-time head coach at the end of the year like J.B. Pickerstaff did. That's got to be unheard of. Yeah, I, I, and I bet it was because of the attitudes around there as well. I mean, I, mean it, like, I listed off the guys that were on that team last
0: year. It's like yeah. babysitting, a bunch of malcontents. Uh, so just getting them out of there. And again, I yeah, you talk to people around the league, and I've talked to very close now, close with a couple of guys that have been teammates with Dwight Howard. He doesn't give it every night. Eddie yeah. Johnson, I'm hosting a show with him, and I'm hosting a show with Rick Mahorn. Uh, Mahorn filled in one day, and within a week, the Pistons, and he calls the Pistons game, Eddie calls the Suns games, Mm -hmm. within a week of each other, the Hawks played both those teams this year. This was at the outset of the year when Dwight was was playing pretty well, and Eddie said, empty numbers. The guy was out there, he he just was going through the motions, he wasn't uh, putting any effort. Rick Mahorn, two days later, unprompted. Uh, just said, hey, you know what? I watched Dwight play the other day. He's just mailing it in. He, he wasn't putting in the effort. Then I talked to former teammates of him and said it was an issue last year uh, with Dwight's
1: effort level. So, uh, you know, the fact that he's not there, I think, has lifted a cloud from him as well. Wow. Well, that's really interesting, too. And I wonder if that's going to ultimately help uh, the Lakers' prospects for signing people because it felt to me that when he left, um, it kind of poked a hole in the notion that the Lakers were the destination that people wanted to go and free agents wanted to sign after that whole fiasco. And maybe it's possible they're looking at this and be like, you know what, that was just a Dwight thing and doesn't have to reflect necessarily negatively on the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, just from talking to people around the league, and again, maybe I'm talking to the wrong
0: people, but just from <laughs> talking to teammates that, uh, that played with him, and I've, I've talked to a couple of them, it's just he doesn't seem to be the most popular guy in the league really polarizing and listen he was uh, he was he created a problem in Orlando he created a problem in LA uh Houston like think about the two teams you know Orlando fine whatever but think about the two teams that have underachieved in maybe the last five years the most it's that super team that he was on the cover with Nash and I understand there were other circumstances there but he was on a uh, cover with Nash and with Kobe Nash got hurt early in the year but Uh, That was one of the more disappointed people thought they'd win a championship. I think they were the seventh seed. It took them to the final week of the season to sneak into the playoffs. Then Houston last year, uh, coming off the Western Conference finals trip, people thought that team was going to compete maybe for an opportunity to go to the NBA finals. And that team disappointed and barely made the postseason until
1: the final week. So I
0: think that tells you something about Dwight Howard.
1: Uh, it does. And you know what? The Hawks were on their way and he looked good. And now you know they've really gone through a bad uh, uh, sp- spell here, kind of writing it. But uh, it's really too bad. They had something a couple of years ago when they were number one in the conference, had four all-stars. There was something there. And it's, uh, I wonder if anyone, when they look back on it, is going to be able to pinpoint ex- like a, what exactly happened that it kind of just didn't sustain.
0: Yeah, and that was the weirdest sixty-win team. And I went through all like statistically and just tried to, to come up with a conclusion. I looked back at all the sixty-win teams in the history of the league, uh, and that just based on so many different factors was the worst sixty-win team uh, in the history of the sport. But the bottom line is they, they did they still won sixty games, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I thought it was a downgrade from Horford to uh, to Howard uh, in the off season. Then you saw how fast Atlanta started. You said, "Well, maybe that's not the case." You know, they finally have a shot blocker. They finally have a rebounder, which, despite how good Horford is, are not two necessarily uh, big parts of his game. But yeah, he just moves the ball better. He's they're complete opposites. Horford's a team guy, knows how to pass, knows how to get guys involved. He's a positive influence, and Howard's just the, you know the complete opposite.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's too bad. And then I guess we can wrap up on another big man just uh, to talk briefly about is uh, the Boogie Cousins uh, mouthpiece gate, if that's a word. Um, Yeah. Did you think that he spit it out on purpose? Yeah, I did, especially with the reverse angle, and I'm sure you've seen it by now. He, he spit it out on purpose,
0: and even if he didn't spit it out on purpose, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt with anybody around <laughs> the league. And I'm a Boogie Cousins fan. Because I'm an emotional guy. He's an emotional guy, uh, so I can appreciate that about him. Does he take it too far on too many different occasions? Yes. Yeah. Does he needs to grow up? Yes. Is it his fault? Yes. It's partly the organization's fault. I mean, we ran through Eddie and myself on the show Uh, Just a couple of days ago, we ran through the different lottery picks that they've made since he's been drafted there. It's been six inside the top ten. And there's just not one guy that can significantly be called success. I think guys like Stauskis and Ben McLemore, Papa Papionis. This year is not playing Willie really Cauley-Stein. I mean, they just haven't made any good draft picks. He's got six different head coaches in seven years. Uh, it, it makes it too difficult to, uh, you know, it makes it too difficult to, to just form any type of consistency. So the organization is the worst possible fit for him. But Cousins has to grow up. Charles Barkley called in when we were talking about this, unprompted, into the show because he heard what we were talking about. Uh, and, he, you know, he doesn't have a good relationship with Cousins. He tore them apart. Uh, and said that he wouldn't trade for him if he was another organization. If I was another organization, I would trade for him in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, maybe there's certain places that aren't good fits, but Boston is a place that's linked to them. Uh Boston immediately, even though Zach Lowe said that Brad Stevens wouldn't want to coach... Yeah, Brad Stevens can go back to Buck if he doesn't want to coach uh, DeMarcus Cousins, because that's the star they're looking for. He's one of the top ten players in the NBA. I think right now he's top five in, in player efficiency rating. He's top five in scoring. I think if he has a solid organization like Boston with Steve and with age and structure, and maybe a guy who respects now and Isaiah Thomas, even though they didn't get along the first time around. Uh, that uh, you know, he would cool it a little bit and fit into the team structure a little bit more, uh, and it would certainly make him a threat to Cleveland, a place like Toronto. Now I don't know if Toronto has the assets to give up like Boston, uh, but you know you put him there with DeRozan and Lowry, they're an immediate threat to, uh, to Cleveland. So I disagree with Barkley. I would trade for him immediately as far as that specific incident with the mouthpiece. Uh, yeah, I think he spit it out on purpose. I don't think he gets the benefit of the doubt, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that he's a— Franchise altering type of player. If you get him out of Sacramento and get him some, uh, you know, get him a supporting cast.
1: Uh-huh. So the difference you see between Dwight, for instance, how you characterize that is that Boogie is just in a much better part of his career, and that he's so much more productive that that could work. Is that the idea? Oh no, I would. I, I think they're two completely like two different complete personalities. I mean, Dwight seems like to
0: me again is a guy that that just doesn't necessarily care about the the results. And Cousins is a guy that just is overly emotional. Like Dwight, I would like to see more emotion, right? I mean, he's a guy that's laughing all the time. Whereas Cousins is out there playing with a scowl on his face and so ticked off all the time. I talk to coaches all the time. I hosted with Don Levy for a while, Sam Mitchell, Lionel Holland, who we also just had on the show a couple of days ago, and he's a real old-school guy. But those guys would always tell me that, they would look at a guy like Cousins and love to coach him, much like Dunley did with Rasheed Wallace, because that's a guy you have to settle down a little bit. You know, he may care too much, and you've got to try and calm him down. It's completely opposite when you take a guy like, you know, maybe an Eddie Curry, maybe Dwight, if you want to say he fits into that, mm-hmm. and tell him that he's got to care a little bit more. And I'm not saying Dwight doesn't care. I think that's more like an Eddie Curry, Tim Thomas type of thing. But they would always rather try and calm a guy down take the chip off the shoulder a little bit, then try and put a chip there when the guy really doesn't care. So, I mean, I think cousins is a guy that gets the right coach and he's, you know, he's dangerous.
1: All right. So you th- so you would think that it's more in the line of like a, a Rodman going to the bulls uh, and then just becoming a real productive part of a great team.
0: Exactly. Rasheed Wallace going to the Pistons. Same, okay. same thing.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not sold on that. I'd seen him up close and personal and practice a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and the worst part about what happened with the mouthpiece was that it was after a really positive play, and yeah, that's well, when he should after, be happy. Like 51 points, 52 yeah. points at that point. So, yes, a uh, positive game, an entire
0: positive game. And I understand Rashid Wallace completely different. Rashid Wallace's teammates loved him, uh, and that's not the case with Cousins, so it's, it's completely different. Heck, I went out to uh, Sacramento earlier this year for our training camp tour, and I started to ask Cousins a question. Uh, and it was a little bit too long for his liking. So he goes, what the hell's the question? Whoa. Uh, you know, so he, oh, yeah. So he, he says that to me. Then he starts to answer it. Uh, and I shot back. I go, what the hell's the answer? Uh, and, uh, you know, once I fired back at him a little bit, he started to laugh. But, uh, he, you know, he's a little bit surly. you got to handle him uh, a little bit differently than most guys in the
1: league. Yeah. I, you know, he probably just needs a Snickers bar. It, uh, that might be the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Justin, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure. Do you ever get to sleep with how much they're working you over there? Oh, yeah. In fact, they gave me
0: a couple of days off here for Christmas. So I get, I get a couple of days off. But the problem, the reason I'm doing the show today on a day off I, is the fact that I need to talk basketball. I, you know, I need a daily fix. So you gave
1: that to me. Wow. I, well, th- I appreciate that. Thank, I didn't realize, you know, I was looking at the schedule. I saw that you weren't on. But I figured, uh, you know, what, what does a guy have to do besides uh, talk basketball all day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. My social life is devoid of any fun.
0: So it's all basketball.
1: All right. Well, enjoy the games on Christmas Day. I know I will be out there thinking about what we talked about, and uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, again, much thanks for coming on the show. And don't forget, sports fans, that beatball Breakdown—we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Justin? Oh, I'm I'm in, coach.